A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheist waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kaufen schaffen es es gibt Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been generously sponsored anonymously in remembrance of everything that was lost in Europe during the years of the war and the Holocaust. Um, in this episode, which is uh, going to start to profile lesser-known Hasidic dynasties, which for the most part, uh, many of them are lesser-known because of they were completely uh, wiped out uh, during the war, is uh, appropriate now for this uh, this season, this time of year, the nine days, coming up to Tisha B'Av. And, um, and since this week is going to be Tisha B'Av, so we're going to try to have uh, an appropriate episode later on this week uh, to fit into that atmosphere. And if you'd like to have that sponsored... Um, you know, a topic of that sort sponsored or an idea, um, then please be in touch with me about that. Speaking of sponsorships, you got a lot of great feedback on the Detroit episode in the Jewish History City series of Jewish History Soundbites. We had Detroit Part 1, and a lot of great feedback, a lot of good stories and new sources, and some people, some old-timers um, who, who offered, uh, you know, a, a lot of anecdotes and personalities from uh, the History of Jewish Detroit. So we're looking forward to a part two, and it is still available for sponsorship. So if you'd like to sponsor that as well, you can be in touch with me, Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com. So looking forward to a Tisha B'Av episode and a Detroit part two, and many other exciting and great topics uh, following Tisha B'Av and over the summer. It's going to be um, some, some, some interesting stories. So getting back to... Um, the story of lesser-known Hasidic dynasties. Uh, what does it mean that it's lesser-known? Why is it lesser-known? Does it mean that it was very, very small and and had a very little impact, um, and that's why it was lesser-known? Or is there other reasons that it was uh, that it was lesser-known? Uh, it wasn't so well-known. Um, perhaps it was well-known and it was very large, but uh, it was so completely wiped out in the Holocaust that... Uh, that it only later on became less well known. Um, so that's that's the questions you want to ask. Uh, you know, sometimes there's even very large ones that today are. I wouldn't say they're unknown. Again, I'm very particular what I'm saying now. I'm not saying they're unknown because uh, as, as soon as you say unknown, then all of a sudden you, you're going to get people. What are you unknown? I know about it. Everyone knows about it. What are you talking about? There's a shtibel down the block from me where I daven all the time. That's named after this uh, dynasty. So it's not. We're not saying unknown. We're talking about less well-known than others, 
Um, sometimes because they were always small and had very little impact. Uh, sometimes they were at one point larger and they were just uh, completely you know, exterminated, wiped out, uh, hard hit during the war. Um, some of those uh, were some of the largest ones in Poland before the war. Of course, uh, Radomsk, which I had an episode on, Alexander, which arguably may have been the largest uh, Hasidic dynasty in the world. Either you know, it's up there with Ger. Um, Ger was you know, Ger was of course uh, till today is very prominent. Before the war in Poland, it was Ger, Alexander, Radomsk wasn't far behind, and uh, we've all heard of Ger and. The other two are much less well-known. In, in Galicia, you had different branches of the Rizhen dynasty, like Chortkiv and Husyatin, which, again, the names might be familiar, but they were very, very large and prominent and influential, had a huge impact with Shtiblach all over, very famous rebbes at, at times, and big courts, centers of, of uh, pilgrimage. And uh, yet today... Husyatin is pretty much non-existent. Dynasty ended in the 1950s. Chartkev is almost, almost, you know, have a little bit shtibel here and there, a few chassidim here and there, uh, but nothing like it used to be. So we see the destruction that was uh, done uh, by the Holocaust and the, you know, the unable to, you know, in different branches of uh, of uh, the Tzans di- dynasty, different branches of the of the Rupshitz, uh, Jikov dynasty, Melitz, was quite large before the war and is almost non-existent today, even though the Melitz Rebbe was the one who said the te- recited the Tehillim at Lincoln Memorial um, uh, by the uh, Rabbi's March in October 1943, but still the Melitz uh, Hasidic dynasty is not that prominent anymore like it used to be in pre-war uh, Galicia. So, this is something to explore. This is something that could, essentially, we could be launching a series. I didn't have that in mind when I started, but but I had in mind something more just, you know, in, in the spirit of the nine days in Tishbeth to speak about the forgotten and, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, the um, lesser known Hasidic dynasties that, that, that either no longer exist altogether or are much smaller than, than they used to be. Um, but it, in, in theory, could be a series, something to talk about, all, all different ones um, that, you know, we could remember and they're part of history. Um, so perhaps uh, we'll explore this topic further, at further opportunity. Um, if you have your favorite lesser-known dynasty that you want profiled here, then you definitely can be in touch with me about that, to have that sponsored as well. When I was preparing this, a very prominent and knowledgeable uh, uh, and dedicated listener of Jewish History Soundbites. I was discussing with him um, about this topic that I'm working on, and, and we're going to have an episode soon. And he says to me, um, they, I, I know of a, uh, of, a, of a minion factory in Muncie called Dumbrava. Uh, is, that, is that a forgotten Hasidic dynasty? Or is it just a minion factory that they found a conven- convenient name for? Or is it a lesser-known dynasty? What is that? And I think that's a perfect example. If we just talk about Dumbrava for a second. I mean, it was started by Ramatcha David Ungar, who was a student of the Noyam Ali Melech, the Rebbe Ramelech of Lejans, the Chayza of Lublin, the Kajnitzer Magid. So again, this places him relatively early on in the Hasidic movement. He then goes on to found the Dumbrava dynasty, when he became a Hasidic leader in his own right in that town, the town of Dumbrava in Galicia, until his passing in 1833. 
Um, and then he's followed by his son, Rabbi Yosef Ungar, and then his grandson, Rabbi Yisrael Alimalach Ungar. And at, that, at this point, the court moves to a nearby town, Jebna, uh, another Galicia town. And, and, and this, uh, you know, th- over the generations, they're related to all kinds of neighboring dynasties, the Kuznets, the Jikov, the Tzans, and they are very prominent in the center of Galicia, the Galicia influence. In general, when we talk about lesser-known dynasties, many of them were in Galicia, because Galicia was the most crowded uh, area of Hasidus. Uh, the most splits uh, among sons in, in, in succession, not in, a, not in a dispute way, just the different sons or sons-in-law of the previous leader of the dynasty would go to different towns and they would establish their own small courts. And most courts in Galicia, there was always, of course, there were big prominent ones like Bells and Tzans and later Babav and, uh, and, uh, and Chortkiv, um, but um, and others... But many, many of them were very small, kind of like intimate. Uh, there was a very you know, closeness with many of these rebbes and their chassidim. They had a very limited geographical influence, and they liked it that way, that they had this, this relationship with their followers. And the Galicia, in particular, was the most crowded area of, of, uh, of the ratio between uh, um, um, Hasidic leaders, tzaddikim, and followers. More than Ukraine, more than Hungary, more than Romania, more than Congress Poland, more than Russia, more than Belarus, more than Lithuania. Galicia was 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 much more uh, crowded, dense uh, with uh, with uh, leaders and dynasties and splits and new new dynasties sprouting up. So this Dumbrava dynasty continues with several branches until it's almost entirely wiped out in the Holocaust. Almost all of the branches. And almost them, them are almost entirely wiped out. One of the prominent descendants who did survive was a fellow by the name of Menashe Ungar. Uh, so he's the direct, uh, uh, you know, Ben Achar Ben, a great uh, male descendant of the dynasty, who was the editor of the Morgan Journal in New York, and he was the author of many great works on the Hasidic movement and the Holocaust. He wrote a fantastic book about uh, Hasidic leaders murdered in the Holocaust, which is kind of related to this topic. Um, other prominent members who who married married descendants, married female descendants of the dynasty, include the Boston Rebbe, Rabbi Yitzchak of uh, the Boston Rebbe, who married a Dumbrava descendant, Rabbi Sroll Spira, the Bluzheva Rebbe, the Holocaust survivor, famous, uh, great tzaddik, a fascinating person. So his first wife, who was killed in the Holocaust, was also a Dumbrava uh, descendant. Um, but the most prominent descendant came from an entirely different branch of the Dumbrava dynasty. A great-grandson of this aforementioned Rabbi Yisrael Ali Melech was a fellow by the name of Rabbi Yaakov Yitzchak Ungar, and he immigrated to the United States and was a rabbi in Crown Heights. And he called himself the Dumbrava Rebbe. And his son, Rabbi Mordechai David Ungar, who is, of course, named for someone who is named for someone who is the founder of this dynasty, who I mentioned earlier, is today the current Babava Rebbe, the, what's known as the Babav Rebbe 45th, 45 or 45th, or whatever it's called. Um, so it all comes around that way, that it goes back to being a, a leader of a prominent Galicia Hasidus, just not of the original Dumbrava one, but of a, another one, Babav. Um, so there you have it, that the Dumbrava descendant becomes the Babava Rebbe, at least of one of the uh, factions. Um, so Another descendant, interestingly enough, of that dynasty was a fellow by the name of Rabbi Sacher Beresh Rubin, who ended up in Berlin around the time of World War I, and he was the Dumbrava Rebbe of Berlin, of all places. And for understandable reasons, he moves eventually to New York, 
And his grandson in Muncie is the one who was referred to by the listener that I mentioned earlier, uh, that he has the what he called the Minion Factory in Muncie. So just as an example, each one of these small and not-so-famous dynasties is a whole story and had a contribution and an impact on the world stage and is part of Jewish history. And they have what to say. And their story is a story that's waiting to be told. And most of them, like I said, and I'm going to continue to say, were completely or almost entirely wiped out during the Holocaust. So while in Europe they may have been small and they may have been less influential than Ger or or Lubavitch, or, or Bells, or, uh, you know, some of the more famous dynasties um, like that, uh, you know, may have had less of an influence even then. But they were there, and they still existed. They still existed as a, as a small community with whatever impact they had. But as a result of the Holocaust, some of them have been erased forever. So at least some of their stories can be told here, and the spiritual legacy that they left can live on among the Jewish people, through um, through our getting to know their stories and and what we know what, what their contribution was, and there was and they were all over these type of uh, dynasties were all over. There are exa- you know, some examples just from Poland. There was the Lomaj. Uh, again, these are picked out of a hat, I, I, and there's literally a thousand names I could have chosen from, and I hope to get to uh, over if we actually do a series like this and and profile some of the other lesser known ones. But Lomaj was a grandson of the Kutzker. And the son of the Kutzker, uh, Reb David Morgan Stern, had a son who was in Lomaj. He was the Lomaj uh, Kutzker Rebbe, and uh, he's buried in Warsaw. And, uh, you know, that was a branch of the Kutzka dynasty. Uh, Skernovich was actually quite large in Poland before the war, and it was near Warsaw, so it had a prominence, it, had a, had a, it was a player on the Jewish scene. And most of us would never have even heard of Skarnovich, if not for the fact that Rybitzchak Gerstenkorn, who was the one who founded Bnei Brak and was its first mayor, was a Skarnovich Chassid. So, okay, so they made an, an imprint on the Israel scene, so therefore that's, the name Skarnovich isn't lost to oblivion. But it was a, you know, quite a significant uh, uh, Hasidic dynasty in, in, in Poland before the war, Yablona would have been entirely forgotten, even though it was a branch of Kuzmir related to Majitz. But then this story about the one of the uh, one of the rabbis of that dynasty was just made famous a few years ago by Rabbi Penny Dunner about he was a uh, a rabbi who who left who left not just his his Hasidim, not just his followers, not just the way of the Hasidic world, but left uh, left uh, Judaism entirely and became a fascinating story. Ended up in L.A. And of course, you can listen to him say it. He says it better than I do. So, so the, we w- but we would never have heard of the dynasty otherwise. And this was again uh, had 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 significant following in Poland. Um, there is examples from Galicia. There was the Ruzla Hasidic dynasty, which is a branch of Zidichov. There's offshoots of Tzans. There's offshoots of Jikov. There's a branches of Bells. There's other smaller names that, that nobody ever heard of, uh, or very few people have heard of. Let me correct myself again before I get yelled at. There's Linskin, Barnov, and Drohobovich. And, you know, uh, one of the Tsans branches was actually quite large. The Kshanov branch from Tsans was, was at one time very prominent. Today, almost non-existent. There was the Galina, Zebrov. Again, another, a, another Tsans branch that was prominent back in the day. Shinov. Um Chatzkel of Shinov was the oldest son of of the Tzanzer, and his descendants continue the Shinov dynasty. Again, today, almost non-existent. Uh, uh, Strizov, which was a branch of Melitz, uh, Melitz, Melitz, uh, so, oh, and many, 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 many more. In Ukraine, you had all kinds of, 
ones, again, small, lesser-known branches. There was, uh, for example, Shpikov, which is a branch of Skver, uh, which came from the Chernobyl dynasty. It was also related to Rizhin. It was wiped out entirely, not only because of the Holocaust, but also because they're in Ukraine, also as a result of communism. And they were behind the Iron Curtain already before, uh, before the war. I had one famous descendant, otherwise no one would have ever heard of Shpikov, and his name was Rebitzik Menachem Nachum Tversky, who was the son-in-law of the Belzareb, Rabbi Sacher Daiv. And the reason he became famous is because Professor David Asaf wrote a, published a very fascinating confession of this fellow, who on the eve of his wedding wrote this confession to the Yiddish writer Yaakov Denizen in Warsaw about his misgivings, about his lifestyle, about Hasidism in general, about bells, about his marriage, and uh, and uh, and he stayed. He stayed within the Hasidic movement. He stayed. He didn't leave. He, he had this confession. He had his issues. He had these misgivings, but he stayed there. He became the rabbi in Ravaruska near Bells, and he and his entire family were killed in Belzitz during the uh, Holocaust. But again, that that was another branch of the of the Hasidic movement that was almost entirely disappeared. Vasli was a Vasloi, Vasli was a Rizhin branch that uh, almost disappeared. Uh, Stretton was a Hasidic dynasty, Rabbi Hudetzvi Brandwine, a student of Rabbi Uri of Strelisk. And later on, the Langer brothers, who were one of the first Rebbes to come to the United States. That's another, another dynasty. There's the Savran a Hasidic dynasty from the Ukraine, that the only reason they're famous today is because they had a dispute with Breslov during the early 1800s with Reb Nassim of Nemerov. So, uh, so, so that's the way they achieved fame. So the only reason we even know the name Savran today, Reb Meshatsuyu Savran, and it continued, the Savran dynasty continued for many, many years. Um, and more, Elik and Stefanest is a famous branch of Rizhen, it was a major Hasidic group in Romania, and which had thousands of followers. Today it's just seen as a skula and a gravesite to pray at in Tel Aviv. I was just there on Friday with my kids. Um, but it, it actually was a major dynasty in Romania before the war. Um, you know, so the, again, so the list goes on and on. I want to choose one to zoom in on to make it more interesting instead of just throwing out names and confusing people. But I hope to get to more of them over time. I want to zoom in and profile this time one specific uh, dynasty, the Zabultov uh, dynasty, which is a a a, a uh, branch of Kosov related to Vizhnets. Um Kosov Vizhnets, which was had a huge impact and very influential in Eastern Galicia, Bukovina, Ukraine, Romania, Hungary, the famous Hager or Hager family. Um, their their fame is achieved and sustained until today because Vizhnitz is still in the Jewish world today very large, very prominent, and very influential, both in Israel and the United States. And therefore, the Kassav Vizhnitz still remains alive and well and healthy and rebuilt. Um, But if we talk a little bit about some of the other branches of this dynasty that disappeared, so the it's one of the oldest also. It starts pretty much from the Baal Shem Tov himself. It's very, very old, very, very, from the beginning of the Hasidic movement. Uh, the Baal Shem Tov had a student named Rabbi Yaakov Kapel Chassid, and his son was Rabbi Mendel Hagar of Kasev. He started the Kasev dynasty. He was born in Kalamea, which is the Baal Shem Tov territory, 
and he was a student of some of the early great tzaddikim in that area of Ukraine, including possibly Rabbi Moshe Leiva of Sasov, who was a fascinating personality in the early part of the Hasidic movement. Primarily, this Rabbi Menachem Mendel Hager was a student of Rabbi Hirsch of Nadvarna, early uh, tzaddik of the Nadvarna dynasty. And at first, uh, initially, Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kosov was in business, a businessman, it was not so successful, he lived very simply. As his teachers either passed away or moved to the land of Israel, he eventually started to attract a following in Kosov and in that area, and it's actually in a strategic location, because Kosov is near the borders of Czechia, which is Czechoslovakia, that area of Karpatorus, and... um, and Hungary, it's right near there, and right near, and it's you know, basically in Bukovina. Today it's in Ukraine, but the area of Bukovina. So he was a very impressive, very, very impressive individual, very charismatic, and he attracted a significant following, and he launches the Kosov dynasty, which continues with his descendants down to this very day. His grandchild and namesake, or Menachem Mendel Hager, again, was the founder of the Vizhnitz Dynasty, and that became the largest and most prestigious branch branch of Kasev um, already before the war. Presumably, be, presumably because of its relation to Rishon, uh, to, to to the Rishoner, and which you know, increased its influence and prominence, and also adopted some of the uh, trappings of Rishon, which increased its uh, influence over uh, in that area and uh, tremendous. Uh, uh, large and, and influential in Bukovina, in Romania, before the war. Um, and especially after the war, the Imre Chaim of Vizhnitz was one of the heroes of post-war rebuilding of Jewish life in, uh, in Israel, and later on through his children in the United States and in Israel. However, this original Ramanachem Mendel of Kasev had another son, and his name was Reb David Hager. And Reb David Hager moved to the town of Zabultov. And he was a prominent Hasidic leader there, as well as the founding of a dynasty named after the town where he was that lasted generations all the way down to the war, all the way down to the Holocaust. And at times had significant numbers and influence. Again, Zabotov is someone thing that is almost completely unknown today. And this has existed for a long, long time, for 150 years. And it was at times quite large and very influential and had some very, very impressive people who headed it, who led it, and uh, came from it. And there, there's a, you know, something that was completely wiped out and forgotten, almost. Um, this Reb David of Zabultov was was a son-in-law of Ramesh Lev Psasov, who I mentioned, who was one of the most fascinating characters in the annals of the Hasidic movement, and also very early on. And uh, some of the, um, you know, when we talk about, in general, the, the, this topic that I introduced of lesser-known um, um, dynasties, many of them were offshoots of existing ones, of more famous ones that, that only were around for a generation or two before the war. They came much later on. They were around for a generation or two before the war, and then they were wiped out. So it's more understandable why those are not so well known. But Zabultov, this comes from almost the beginning. This is not did not show up on the Jewish scene in the beginning of the 20th century by some um, you know, by, by a small offshoot. This is around from the start, pretty much. Um, it started even before Vizhnitz, for its uh, more famous uh, relative, right? Um, so when, when Rabbi Nachum Mendel of Kosov passed away in 1825, and Rabbi David's older brother succeeded the father in Kosov, 
So he, the David, becomes the, known as the Hasidic Tzaddik in Zabaltov. And he was also, however interesting with him, is that he was also the rabbi of the town. So he was the rabbi, the communal rabbi of the town, a prominent Talmud Chacham, a great Torah scholar as well. And he, um, and he, in addition to becoming his position as rabbi, he was also the, the Hasidic Tzaddik. So he was renowned in the area of the whole region, the whole area of Galicia, and beyond for his wisdom, his sage advice. Some of the greatest Hasidic leaders of his day saw him as a wise man, as someone who they would seek out advice from, the Debrechaim of Tzans, used to call him Chacham Adif Minavi, the wise man who is better than a prophet. That's how he referred to Reb David Hagar of Zabalto. The Rizhiner, the Heiliger Rizhiner, uh, Rabbi Saul Friedman of Rizhin, used to call Reb David uh, of Zabotov, the wise man of the world, the Chacham Ha'olam, the wise man of the world, and other uh, Hasidic leaders as well. Uh, as as w- was customary by his father, and what would also become a hallmark of the Kasev dynasty in general, in all its branches, um, in, in Vishnas and everywhere else, he, Reb David Hag, was very generous with his charitable projects. He would literally distribute everything he had to uh, people in need, um, became a, a hallmark of him, of him as a personality, of his descendants, of the other branches of the dynasty as well. Interesting that his wife, uh, Rebetzin Pesileya, who I mentioned was the daughter of Ramayshalev of Sasso, she was known also as a great righteous individual. She was considered a great Hasidic tzaddikis as well. And following her husband's passing, she would receive kvitlach. She would receive requests for prayer by the followers of her husband at the court. So she became something of a uh, of a celebrity as well. Um, he had very two very impressive sons-in-law. One daughter, Shana Rachel, married Rabbi Yitzchak Friedman of Bohush, a great Hasidic leader of the Rizhin dynasty, one of the oldest grandchildren of the Rizhiner and founder of the Bohush uh, branch. And Bohush also in Romania, the same area. Bohush was a very prominent uh, Rizhin branch in Romania up and down to the war, and even after the war, the Bohush Rebus managed to make it to Israel and established himself in Tel Aviv. They were a more Zionistic uh, um, Hasidic group. Today, the, uh, the current Bohush Rebus has taken a you know ideologically a different path, but Bohush is now you know, much smaller, and, and, and uh, uh, but they still exist. They're still around. Um, it was another... Um, another daughter of Reb David uh, of Zabultov, <coughs> excuse me, her, her name was Falia, and she married Falia, Falia. She married in her second marriage, uh, following her first husband's passing. She married Reb Yosef Babat, who was the rabbi of the uh, of the large uh, city of Tarnopol, and he was the author of the acclaimed work, the Minchas Chinuch. Reb Yosef Babat, of course, was a Chassid. And in his first marriage, he had been the brother-in-law and the follower of the Debrei Chaim of Tzanz, Reb Chaim Halbushnam uh, 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 of Tzanz. He was also a follower, Reb Yisrael Babad was also a follower of Naftali Harwitz of Rupshitz, the Rupshitzer. So in his second marriage, he marries a daughter of this Reb David uh, Hagar of Zabulto. So back to Reb David. Uh, when he passes away in 1848, he's succeeded by his son, Reb Yaakov Hagar, who continues the Zabulto dynasty. He actually had three other brothers who continued... Uh, uh, different branches in other towns. So again, it keeps on going out and branching out, and each one has their uh, limited following. So it became quite prominent and influential in the Bukovina region, and the Rabbi Yaakov was the leader of the Zabotov dynasty until his passing in 1881, succeeded by his son, Ramanacha Mendelhager, who in turn was succeeded by his son, Ramaisha. Ramaisha was the rabbi of the town of Zabotov in his father's lifetime. 
Uh, he was appointed already as the communal rabbi while his father was the, was still alive. And he only succeeded him as a Hasidic leader when it, on his passing. But he was already a known scholar and Paisic already earlier on in 1906 when he became the rabbi of the town. By this time, there was already a bit of a decline already in the Zabultov court. Uh, there was so many other branches of the Hagar Kusev dynasty by this time in the area that it got a bit too crowded. Um, and Rabbi Nachum Mendel did not have many uh, followers. Um, and during World War One, sorry, yeah, Rabbi Nachum Mendel, Rabbi Meishet later on, did not have many followers. During World War One, he fled, uh, Rabbi Meishet Hagar fled to Vienna, as many other rabbis did from the different districts of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Galicia, Bukovina, uh, Basrabia, etc., which had become the front lines. So many fled to the capital of Vienna, which is, again, a very interesting story, which I've mentioned other times in other episodes, but it's a very interesting story, which has not been explored enough. A Western European capital, Vienna, which had never been, never had a Hasidic population because uh, the Hasidic movement had not moved, besides for the, the small community in the land of Israel, had not moved beyond the borders of Eastern Europe until the 20th century. It was only limited to Eastern Europe that whole time. And here, so Vienna never had a Hasidic population or any Rebbes residing there, and literally overnight became one of the most densely, dense Hasidic cities in the world, probably second after Warsaw, with loads of Rebbes establishing establishing courts there. It raises a lot of questions and is definitely a story to be told, so perhaps we'll have an opportunity to explore that on another occasion, especially since this is what would happen in New York City and Tel Aviv after World War II. So Vienna is somewhat of a model and foreshadows later events and, and, and you know, should be studied to you know, better understand the urban society of where Rebbes live uh, today. Um, so this uh, Reb Moshe escapes to Vienna and passes away there uh, during World War I. He's buried there in 1916 and his son Reb Chaim Hager succeeds him. And following World War I, unlike most other Rebbes in Vienna at that time, he returns to his hometown in 1920 and reestablished the Zabultov court in, back home in Zabultov, where most others remained in Vienna. So he gains renown as a great Torah scholar. In 1938, he visited Palestine, and he desired to settle there permanently. It did not work out, and um, he returned to Zabultov. And during the Nazi occupation, he was beaten by the Nazis and then taken to forced labor to pave roads. And then later on, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, he and his wife and his four children were all killed by the Nazis in 1942, and no one survived from the family. If we take a step back uh, and look at the extended family, uh, through all the many branches of this Hagar, Hagar Kossov family, almost no one survives. Uh, for instance, the last... Kasev Rebbe was, had the same, same name, but also he was a Reb Chaim Hager. And he his entire family were wiped out in the Kolomaya Ghetto, in Lvov, in the Belgians' uh, death camp. And at the uh, same goes for most of the other smaller and lesser known branches. Each one was a Rebbe with followers, with a family, and almost all of them uh, perished. And we grew up knowing about the famous Rebbes. We grew up knowing about the few who were able to escape and rebuild, and, uh, and so on. Uh, but the, during the nine days, it, perhaps it's the time to take a step back and confront the overwhelming destruction and to see how much was actually lost uh, during that time. Um, of course, once a name is available, it doesn't go entirely into oblivion. That never happens. There's always someone who attempts to resurrect uh, the, uh, the name. And this, a, a, another descendant, I'm not even sure how he's related, but another descendant of Rabdavid Hagar of Zabultov, 
who was the original founder, like I mentioned, someone by the name of Rebin Sion Hager. He served as the Zabotov Rebbe during the 1990s in the Arze Habira neighborhood in, in Jerusalem, in Yerushalayim. And upon his passing, his son, Rabbi Shaleb Hager, continues the remnant of the Zabotov name by maintaining a shtibel in my city of residence in Beit Shemesh. So it's still around, at least in name, it is still around. So hopefully uh, this will you know, be a springboard to other stories uh, and future profiles, depending on what gets sponsored. And this is just a glimpse into the Kusev and then Vizhnitz and the lesser known branches of that dynasty. Um, you know, there's Radovitz, there's Sarit Vizhnitz today. And the, definitely this can be uh, expanded into a series. So hopefully um, we'll have the opportunity to do so. So this is Yehudi Gabriel Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudiGabra.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, and lectures. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.